You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Raj. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Informer Podcast. This is Roger coming to you on Tuesday, the 27th of May. And to continue on our apparent X-Men bonanza, that's all we've been talking about lately. We are going to cover some more X-Men again today. Um, we are going to be covering in our second part of the X-Men specials that we're doing on Popcorn Ronin, our TV and movie podcast we're going to be doing days of future past and that's going to be recorded this week probably record released either on friday or during the weekend but i'll make sure that there's links everywhere for for everybody if you haven't yet listened to the first part of that two-parter that's where we covered all of the x-men movies and the wolverine movies up till days of future past so it's definitely worth listening to and we are going to have a a ton of fun talking about (laughs) days of future past we're not going to go into it too much right now obviously because we're going to be discussing it in literally a matter of days but what did you think just as an overall what was your impression and in comparison to prior movies i'd say it's my favorite of the films but i wouldn't go so far as to say it's the best if that makes sense because yeah I really enjoyed it despite the fact that there were massive problems with story structure. So like it, it, that's a testament to how good the good parts were though. Yeah. Yeah. The, I went to go see it with my son and cause there's no way my wife could take that much noise in the theater. <laughs> and, uh, and we both really enjoyed it a lot and has been getting phenomenal reviews overall. But of course being someone who's, you know, read a number of X-Men comics and those specific comics for that event as well and whatnot. It was funny because I'm sitting there and there were so many points where I'm going, well, that's not even what the hell that doesn't make sense. (laughs) And I was, I was ready to completely sever that, you know, comic versus movie umbilical cord. I was, but you can't completely turn it off because you're still kind of thinking in the back of your head different things. But I did try really hard to separate them so that I could enjoy it as its own entity. So it will be very interesting to talk about this. We're going to be discussing it on Thursday. And then, like I said, I'm going to try to release the podcast either on Friday or during the weekend. So that should be fun. Today, we are going to be discussing X-Men No More Humans. And this is a graphic novel that came out just recently. Written by Mike Carey, art by Salvador LaRocca and Justin Ponsor. This is yet another in their line of graphic novels that they've brought out. And you're looking at the equivalent of five or six issues. This was very interesting when I read it. Because, as I've said many a times, I don't actively go out looking for comic book news and whatnot. I probably should. But... (laughs) Seeing as I represent the noob portion of this podcast, I'm more than all right just to be surprised when you lay on the news. <laughs> and I, how, I, how many hundreds of episodes can you go with being the noob? I still am. I, I think if we ask the listeners, they will say, oh, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I got no problems with that whatsoever. The point being that 
I had not um, heard about this coming out. So I didn't read the interviews. I have now gone out and read some of the interviews with Carrie, which were interesting. So it was complete shock. Like, no, I shouldn't say shock. Sorry. Surprise to find this and then start reading it and whatnot. And I immediately had some fairly strong opinions of it. And that's when I was going to bring it up during the, what we were reading that one time. And then I thought, you know what, better to kind of save it so that we could have a good discussion about it before we even get into the graphic novel as a whole. What did you think about the writing? I thought that, and this has been one of Carrie's strengths throughout his writing career, specifically with the X-Men, a lot of the character moments, like the, the interplay between the, the various X-Men and what have you, I felt that was pretty well done. But as far as overall story structure, I don't know if it really held together. I was I, – I see what you're saying about the relationships between the characters and I'll agree – with you on that but how do i say this it's there's more to those relationships than just how they interact but it's how they speak to each other as well the dialogue the actual nuts and bolts of the writing the words on the panels yeah and, there, there were there there were some characters he had a better voice for than others i i can definitely agree with that well actually i'm gonna go so far as to say far too many of them sounded like they had the same voice so that bothers me when I'm reading something and most of the characters sound like they're the same person talking. And that's how this came off to me for a majority of the characters. And that's something that, you know, a writer can work on that to develop their voices so that they don't sound like it's always the same person speaking. And on top of that, the dialogue often felt clunky. It was certainly not natural in the speech and it just was kind of, it was off. It was, it was when I read it the first time, it, that's one of the things that struck me. It just, it felt off. The writing was just, it was something I couldn't put my finger on it, but it just did not feel right. And then reading it again, a couple of times now in prep for this, it is, there's something about the writing that I, I just can't, I can't put my finger on. It's just <laughs> for me personally, it doesn't jive. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And then again, everybody sounds the same. So yeah, the characters have, uh, the character interactions are well handled, but the manner in which they speak to each other comes off as again, oftentimes the same person speaking. And that, that really bothers me when I read that. And then the story as a whole, there's a lot of points where even, even for a comic book, you're kind of going, come on. Like <laughs> the, the, the premise already is wild and ridiculous being that all of the humans disappear from the planet. So, okay, I can, again, suspend disbelief and just roll with this, but you better make it make sense. This had better be something that, that really kind of, again, makes sense, and, and it doesn't. 
And it doesn't because he was lazy in how he came up with the hows and whys of, oh, it's just came from another parallel universe. So we don't have to explain how this works. <laughs> it's just from another universe. They invented it. It made sense there. They have the schematics. You want to know how this works? Go, <laughs> Go ask, ask them, them for the schematics because we, we don't know. So, I mean, Ray's even says, like, he doesn't know how to completely work it. So, to me, that's a that's cheap writing. So, it's hard to get behind that. Yeah, I, I won't disagree. Like I said the, the large strokes of the story didn't quite click with me. Overall, like in any number of them, <laughs> which is which is disappointing because I've really loved a lot of Mike Carey's writing, especially a lot of his X Men stuff. And we've seen him do big like event level stuff. Like he wrote uh, Age of X, which was a big story that had a number of characters that were all handled very well, and it made sense. I mean, yeah, it was big, goofy comic bookness with you know, an alternate reality inside Legion's head and all that stuff, but it wasn't any weirder or less weird than what we have here, and it worked so much better. Yeah. Again, it all boils down to whether the writer takes shortcuts or if they actually spend the time to come up with with the the hows and the whys that then makes sense. So for here, for those who haven't read it, I mean, obviously, spoilers at this point, um, what we're looking at is all of the humans. There's no more humans. They're, they're all gone. <laughs> hey, baby, want to destroy all humans? Yeah. And uh, you, you, you wind up seeing... Raises back again, who is the love child of Mystique and Wolverine from the future, who, as villains go, he He's comes a weird up as an annoying piece of crap, is what he is. Give me <laughs> Magneto or Doctor Doom any day of the week and twice on Sundays. He, they, they're commanding. It makes sense when they pull off something this grandiose that you're like, I can buy it. Freaking Magneto could pull this off in his sleep kind of thing and not screw it up like raised it. So it's important to pick your right leads. I don't know why he chose this character that apparently they're trying to do a lot more with that I think is like, just ugh. Remember how much we all hated Dokken? Yeah. Well, this is basically Dokken 2.0. Yeah, Dokken but like, blue. And I don't know why would you would just use Rays and not any of the other future Brotherhood members that came out in a one of in un, I think it was all new X Men the very same week this graphic novel came out. I, if you would use maybe one or two of the other characters and present them as just more of a unified threat instead of like a petulant child. I, again, it was it was an awkward decision. Yeah, and the way that he wrote them. Now, granted, part of that is just the character is like that as well. But the way that he wrote him, you said it perfectly. A petulant child, but he's an adult. But when you see him later on dealing with Wolverine, it's like a a child throwing a tantrum, but he's an adult. And it's just uh, unless he makes himself look like he's an adult and he actually is a child. Ooh, that would actually be cool. 
They should. <laughs> you have my permission, Marvel, to roll with that, okay? Because that makes this character a damn sight more interesting than he is now. So, anyways, they don't even. He doesn't even explain how he got came back from the future for this or or whatever. It's like the the, the time travel gates are now open, and it's like don't even have to bother explaining. Just well, to come in willy nilly because no, he was he, he was he, he was, did, stuck was he still timeline, stuck here? He? I didn't know yeah. if he was or not. Yeah, I didn't think that he was. No, because because remember that's why um, Storm's daughter stayed. She had to hunt down the the Brotherhood that stayed. Okay, all right, okay, okay. So at well, least I'm, that makes sense. All right. Well, it made sense to you because at the time it didn't to me. I'm going like, what what the hell again? So all right, fine. Still, I I would have gone definitely with somebody else because it, it really is. Uh, anyways, and then again, you're looking at something as simple as you're looking at, he's stuck in that prison, that, that cell that he already knows there's going to be a power outage and he can get out of it. And they, they make a big deal of the a hole being carved out of this. What did they say? Six inch freaking glass with what? Those little bone claws of his, how the hell did he get out? <laughs> like, little things like that actually matter in a story. We've seen where other writers take the time, even if it's only just a little line or something to explain different things so that you can then feel justified in suspending your disbelief for other bigger things that come along. Like this plane that's on headed towards the, the, the mansion and the school and you're looking and they managed to get it landed on the grounds and you're going like, well, judging by the, <laughs> the art, that sucker was going to become a new Ottoman in their school, like right in the middle of their living room. There was no way that was moving, but yeah, anyways. So then you wind up having them figuring out that there's no, no more humans. They bounce around to New York and see everything crashed. This is another one of those, though, that as someone who's read a number of post-apocalyptic novels or whatever kind of thing, there'd be a hell of a lot more destruction than what they're showing. Yeah, there's like a couple cars overturned, and one of them hit a lamppost. Yeah, well, there's... <laughs> All those cars were moving a minute ago. <laughs> yeah, there's... I will say there's a helicopter on the ground, but it's not saying much. You know, there's there's, there's no mention of... We should probably send Hank to all the nuclear facilities around the world to turn them <laughs> off or do something. You know, there's all kinds of other things there that we should really worry about. But no, instead they meet up with Scott and his group, which that was actually a nice drawn panel. I like that. I liked a lot of the artwork in this. I, I've I, never been shy about my love of Laraka. Yeah, but you know what? Some of it, some of the panels are like, yeesh, that's a little scary. But some of them are beautiful, but some not so much. See, that's one of, the, that's one of those things about Laraka, and that's one of the things I've always really respected about him, is he's one of the faster artists in mainstream comics. Like, he's one of the only guys I know of that can consistently put out a comic every month without missing one, you know, without needing a fill-in every once in a while. So I, I thought he was an odd choice for this, because for the graphic novel format, you'd typically want to pick one of your slower artists, one of the guys that's not going to put out you know, a bunch of comics every month, and that's why the graphic novel works. You're not going to be switching artists or waiting for issues. So, I, I, I don't care, though, because I've always liked LaRocca, though. It's just, 
I kind of wonder like what the decision making was there. Yeah, I, they could have gone with somebody better. Again, I don't want to slam his artwork because overall, yeah, it is good. But there's some panels where you're looking and you're going like, "Ee, that's not right. That does not look right." And then a lot of the, the reason why he can work so fast too is because there's a lot of just lines. And then the the art the the shading is done by the colorist who puts it in kind of thing. So, anyways, uh, so yeah, so they they meet up with Scott and his crew, and then you have the mandatory little tension there. I love that it's Magneto that sets them straight. <laughs> it's like kids, stop it right now. <laughs> Magneto is badass in this, which is what you expect of this character. He's he's absolutely fantastic. Which yeah, was funny. It just continues this trend of what we've been seeing. From Magneto for a while now, and I'm 100% okay with it. You see, and that's something that, again, I, I, I was rereading this and then just recently saw Days of Future Pass, and it's something that we'll talk about on Thursday because, unfortunately, Ian McKellen's Magneto, in my opinion, was terrible. It was, it was, he played Gandalf. He forgot that he was supposed to be playing Magneto, <laughs> and it, there's no way in hell Magneto would have been, you know, looking that beaten down because Magneto always looks like this <laughs> badass ready to do whatever has to be done. Hey, he's been hitting the gym lately too in the comics. Yeah, no kidding. Um so then they they wind up teaming up all together kind of thing and when they find out that there's one human left all the heavy hitters go and it winds up being a trap of course which it's obvious and this is yet another plot device that's used that you're going like it doesn't make sense let alone the mechanics of what happens but how the characters interact that it all feels so very forced all just to make a point yeah what was the purpose of this scene the purpose of the scene was to for rays to take out the heaviest hitters or for Ray's to prove to them that it was real. That's what he says. The purpose in reality was just to explain what is going on. Yeah. And it's forced, which it shouldn't have to be. Yeah, so. like, to me, the entire purpose of this scene was to set up the scene near the end where they needed to be, you know, they needed yep. to be alone for a couple minutes. Yeah. Like, that, that, it, was just, it was just a structural, like, it didn't fit in with the story. Like, there's a hundred other ways that that could have been done that would have been better. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. From there, you wind up getting tons of mutants that are showing up from other parallel universes and they're just popping up all over the world. And you find out when Ray's has his little speech with the X-Men that he is the one that is responsible for this. And he is using the technology from this lab that has been stealing technology from other parallel universes in order to um, get mutants that are in oppressed parallel universes over to this world. And he's cleared out all of the humans to make room for them. See, that's a, that's I actually was all right. With device. That. Really? Yeah. Okay. I was not. And I, it, it would have made 10 times more sense if Magneto was the villain, though, and not Ray's. Yeah, that goes without saying. But still, I I kind of found that when, again, it was a plot device that it was like, uh, kind of just, 
Okay, whatever. I'll go with it. I I think there could have been ways of doing it better, but this is what they chose. So, and then the whole capturing of Nightcrawler, dude just has to think, and he's gone. <laughs> so you knocked him over. He's still looking over his shoulder at you. He'd be gone. There's no like the I. Apparently, Gary doesn't know how awesome Nightcrawler is. Nightcrawler was dead for a, a significant portion of Carrie's time in the franchise. <laughs> he didn't get to use him. So from there, you have the mandatory X-Men versus Raises New Brotherhood kind of sequence, even though there isn't a fight yet. Magneto chooses his sides. And and then they got to figure out what they're going to do with all the new people. I... I I don't want to say that I found a lot of it dull, but I found a lot of it dull. (laughs) When you break down the story into just like the bullet points and yeah, you're talking about, you know, (laughs) meetings and bureaucracy and all this stuff. It, it, in practice, it, it flows a little better than like when we're just breaking it down to its core elements. Yeah, for but this discussion. Yeah. I still found that there was way too many conference meetings. You know, <laughs> yes. there I I have expected to see like boxes of donuts open on all the tables. We're going to be here a while, guys. Grab a snack. <laughs> so, and then it's either that or full-blown X-Men versus New Brotherhood kind of thing, including the all new X-Men from the past in there and stuff like that. I and then the whole thing with the Phoenix at the end, maybe it's because we've been seeing so much with the Phoenix as of late with the whole big event and which neither of us particularly liked. So frankly, seeing her again was just one of those, oh, come on. It, it's on the checklist of doing a big X-Men story. It's I think it's number two on the list of Phoenix shows up. Yeah. And saves the day. Didn't really want to, but was convinced to save the day. My biggest issue with it was this was now the second of these special graphic novels in a row that the story was ultimately meaningless. Yeah. And just like the Spider-Man thing, like the character stuff and the characters that remember what was happening, like with the Spidey thing, okay, those plot threads are still there. It can be picked up on in the monthly comics and worked with, but ultimately what happened in that graphic novel. And same thing here. There's a lot of character threads that I really enjoyed in this. The stuff with I, – I, I loved the little miniature plot line with Triage and what he had to go through with you know basically creating a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really hope that's something they build on there. But ultimately, the story was completely meaningless. Mm-hmm. And and once again, with the Phoenix saving everybody, and this is something exactly like what you're saying with the Spider-Man, as I'm reading it, and they're talking about what's going to happen if they bring back all the humans, and if they were in a car, all of a sudden they're going to be flying through the air because there's no car there now, or falling from where the plane was, different things like that. In my head, I know, well, that's not going to happen. This is going to be exactly like the Spidey thing where there's going to be no consequence whatsoever. And sure enough, 
Phoenix says, nobody needs a Band-Aid. Everybody's going to be all right. <laughs> and so there's absolutely no, the only consequence, and I'm air quoting here, you can't see, is the morality choices that affect not just triage, but uh, especially Beast as well. Yeah. But that's it, really. So, I mean, I'm sure that we're going to see stuff with young Jean and whatnot, but she came out of this pretty unscathed, let's be honest. For a very young Jean to be tackling the Phoenix Force, she's kind of, you know, give her a popsicle, she'll be all right. This isn't like the most difficult thing she's done this week. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, and, and freaking Cyclops looked like he was ready to plant a kiss on her at one point there. So... And can I find, can I say yet again, I'm going to be so happy once they finally change his goddamn outfit. I'm so tired of that X on his head. It's unbelievable. It is the most ridiculous costume I've ever seen him in and a lot of others compared to others. It is the dumbest nonsensical costume ever. I've had it with it. Change it. Seriously. I don't disagree at all, except... For some reason, whenever Bacallo draws it, it works. I know. For nobody for me. Because in my mind, I'm still saying it makes no sense. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I, I, I'm not going to disagree. I, I hate it. Stupid. The only person that should wear masks like that is Daredevil. Okay? Nobody else. It makes no sense. I Oh, God, I hate it. Anyways. Meanwhile, freaking Magneto looked badass. Except, again, with the pouches. With the drawing lessons from Leafield here. Anyways, so that's pretty much it for keep his old man vitamin somewhere. Yeah, and ass shots too when they're doing the freaking from underneath. It's like, come on, grow up. I I would be hard pressed to actually recommend this to someone to read, um, which sounds really terrible. I'd I'd like to, and there were aspects that I enjoyed, but there was so much that just ticked me off that I just did not and that really took me out of it completely and the the payoff at the end with the phoenix made me quite literally groan so I personally can't even recommend this yeah I really wanted to like this a lot more than I ultimately did because the parts that worked for me really worked for me but yeah it just it was very awkwardly handled Okay. Overall. Let's move on to what we're reading. I've actually only got one, and it's the right one this week. (laughs) Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. The right one. I read it. I enjoyed it a lot, though there there was confusion to be had. Written by Mike Benson. And now, this is what kills me, okay? Now, I am not stereotyping here in any way, shape, or form. However... Pencils by Tan Yang Kuat, and I apologize if I butchered your name. Wow. Ink, what, did I get it right? I think no. so. Oh, come on. It must have been close. Uh, inks by Craig Hyung, Young, whatever, and colors by, I'm going to go with Jesus Abertoff. Okay. At least two of those, I'm going to guess, are Asian. It's a fair assumption. Why is it that Shang-Chi... Looks like he's a white Caucasian male throughout all of this. I got nothing. It was, seriously, I'm reading this and there are scenes where it's like quite obvious. Like this is a white 
Caucasian male. And I'm going, what, what is going on here? Did they whitewash Shang-Chi? Like, how does that make sense? And then I looked at who did the art again. I'm going, they're, they're Asian. Why, wait, what's going on here? <laughs> and when you're looking at the art on the cover, as well as the art for the cover coming up, it's Shang-Chi. And yet all the art inside, it's, it's not. It's that being said, what did you think of it? I thought it was a lot of fun and I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah, it's all set up. So I'm I'm curious where it's going to go as well. It was, it, it's almost entirely set up. So it was the parts I enjoyed. I enjoyed a lot. The parts that were meh were really meh. Yeah. Like I, I'm going on trust here that there's going to be a lot more of people getting kicked in the face in the very near future. Yeah. Yeah, because the sitting around talking to Cap, which the art in that page, oh my God. Cap looks like before he got injected with that stuff. His super soldier serum. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is definitely not the best work we've seen out of Watt, uh, especially since we just, he killed it on X-Men Legacy. Yeah, this was, yeah, I'm not impressed. Uh, but yeah, so the, the issue was was all right, but it is almost entirely set up for what's coming up so i'm i'm curious where it's going to go from here but i was i was hoping for more mm-hmm. so it's just for me like i know what's coming so it, if they can pull it off i'll be happy cool the rest that i have is actually there's no sense talking about because we have before i've been catching up again rereading the days of future past stuff and some of the little events side events and whatnot that ha- have happened since then in prep for our popcorn Ronan. So again, there's no sense going over those. So what do you have? All right. I have a couple here. First of all, uh, the latest issue of Nova, nothing really special to say about it other than the fact that I'm, I just love this comic. Like it, it's all the best stuff about like old school Spider-Man of he's a young hero, still learning the ropes and it just feels right. Like it has that perfect balance of the superhero stuff with the family at home stuff. And it, it really works on a number of levels for me. Yep. Uh, we had the Deadpool annual came out. You're just getting right back into Deadpool, aren't you? I, until they stop making it so great. Yes. <laughs> this was hilarious. He, I think this is, a common thread among a lot of the, the annuals and specials they put out with Deadpool. When you team him up with Spider-Man, it always works. In this particular story, basically Chameleon is making Spider-Man's life miserable. Like he's he's just messing with his head, pretending to be civilians in danger so that as soon as, you know, Spider-Man chases off the mugger and then Chameleon turns around and stabs him in the back and runs away. Like he He's threatening to beat up just like random passersby in the street because he doesn't doesn't know who's who anymore his spider sense is just pretty much constantly going off because he's chameleons everywhere and messing with him it's hilarious to the point where when deadpool shows up spider-man's just like laying on the roof of a building he's like what are you doing buddy he's like i just need to sleep but i can't be alone (laughs) it's like oh i haven't slept in two days so when peter eventually gets taken out by uh, like a tranquilizer or something deadpool goes around in the spider-man costume pretending to be peter and it is it's just gonna make me read this aren't you it's hilarious like it's not it better be it's not great storytelling. There's no character development. It's just, you know, 30 pages of a funny, fun comic. And I loved it. All right. I'll read it. <laughs> and then we also had uh, the next story arc starting for Saga. 
the very first page is the Roger, you're going to hate this signal of just something incredibly out of place for no purpose other than shock value. Once you get past that first page, it's again, really good stuff. And the last page just, it it, it was kind of, kick in the gut like I, I i don't want to ruin it but i sat there staring at that last page for a couple minutes it, it was it was really good <laughs> and that's all i have for us this week all right so what we've got this week on the marvel side is all new invader number five fantastic four number five giant size spider-man number one mighty avengers number 10 miss marvel number four thanos annual number one uncanny avengers number 20 and wolverine number seven on the image side we've got cowl number one deadly class number five skull kickers number 27s and trees number one which actually sounds interesting and then, the, is that the warren ellis one yes it is Okay, I've been hearing about that. Yeah, and then from everybody else, we've got Clive Barker's Nightbreed, number one from Boom Studios, Mass Effect Foundations, number 11 from Dark Horse, Serenity Leaves on the Wind, number five of six from Dark Horse. That's, oh, it's been so friggin' good. Dr. Spectre, Master of the Occult, number one from Dynamite, Samurai Jack, number eight from IDW, and Transformers, Robots in Disguise, number 29 from IDW as well. That Samurai Jack is actually one to really look forward to because they're doing a silent issue. Oh, cool. Which we've seen so many times from so many other comics, but for Jack, it'll fit. That's exactly. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Make sure to check out our Popcorn Ronin episode that aired last week, and that is one part one of the X-Men movies. And then, like I said, we are going to be recording the other one in a couple of days. So it will be recorded or released, I should say, before the weekend or on the weekend. You can check out the show notes for this episode at comicbookinformer.com. We are on Twitter at CB Informer, and we will talk to you guys next week. Yeah.